Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Uh, super excited to have you here and even more excited to have uh, Ryan Kuntz join us today. So Ryan is uh, a man with many talents. Uh, he uh, currently uh, is spending a lot of time running uh, Mammoth Growth, which is a um, consultancy that um, deals with a lot of data, but he also um, started an awesome company called um, On the Attribution Side. Um, and so we're really excited to have him uh, join us today because I think he can um, talk a lot about how uh, mobs should think about data, how to structure it, like how to interact with all the different stakeholders around data, what to measure, when to measure, how to think about measurement and the communication of it across the organization. So really excited to have him join us today so that we can really go deep into that topic. It's a topic that I'm passionate about that I know he is passionate about. So. Uh, there'll be a lot of hot takes, uh, and I'm yeah really excited to um, to hear his take there. Um, like the kind of standard uh, housekeeping before we get started, of course. Uh, so please do feel free to um, to use the chat. Feel free to ask any questions. Um, the way we typically do this is we'll keep an eye out for uh, any questions that are relevant to the topic that we're currently addressing, and if there's anything that makes sense to kind of um, you know, address on the spot. We'll actually do that, and we'll ask Ryan um, the questions that you might have. Um, but otherwise, we'll kind of have a Q and A uh, section towards the end uh, of this event. Uh, we typically try to keep it to forty-five minutes, but um, in the past, um, we get a little bit passionate about the topic, and we typically run um, towards the end of the um, the hour. Um, hooray! Uh, the the giveaways are still happening. Uh, Summer is coming soon, so what uh, better uh, to prepare than having this nice cooler bag from Yeti to put uh, your cold beverages before going to the beach? So yeah, I think we're still yeah we're still in May, so um, if you're attending today, you're still eligible for this. Um, and without further ado, I um, want to welcome again uh, Ryan for joining us. Thanks a ton for being here. Uh, it's always awesome to to have you. And I guess maybe to um, to get started and to kind of uh, introduce you to um, the folks that are here, I uh, would love to get your take on um, how you view uh, marketing ops today. Like what, where do you kind of see uh, the role today and where do you see its potential to grow in the future um, given your kind of uh, extensive work in, I would say like sophisticated B2B and B2C companies? Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks, Francis, and uh, thanks for having me. So, yeah, marketing ops is definitely something that, um, to be honest, when we started Mammoth Growth, we didn't hear so much about, and it is taken maybe not full center stage uh, in the organization or marketing organization today, but definitely, you know, has a lot more influence, particularly as you know the proliferation proliferation of these uh, of different marketing and and product and data and databases and visualization tools have started to basically take over the organization, right? Uh, in the past, marketing ops might've been um, running an Adobe instance or a Marketo instance, and you know that was kind of it. And you had your you know little bucket of work to do. Um, today, it's never just one thing, right? It's, oh, I might have you know, a data layer with something like Segment, or I might have you know, an attribution tool that's plugged in, or I might have product analytics that's tied to it that marketing might need to know about or might be asked to work on, right? And so, I think um, you know marketing ops is evolving in these companies, and the best marketing ops organizations um, are data driven and are 
uh, able to work across the organization because these things need to work together. Makes sense. Uh, and and so one of the perspectives that I'm really uh, excited to, to hear from you is, again, last week we actually had uh, Sarah from Slack who was talking to us. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that she has a pretty extensive consulting background. And she was saying there's something about having done consulting where that forces you to focus on the business outcome of what you're trying to build. And it kind of educates you on how to communicate this to the executives uh, because you want to sell the project before you actually go in and implement it. And so one of the perspectives that I'm interested in hearing from you is as both the founder and uh, someone running a consultancy, how um, how would you recommend MOPS manage to get the attention from other executives within an organization and are not seen as like the donut maker? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, look, at the end of the day, um, MOPS should actually provide value to the organization, right? And that or that value is how is what I'm going to do, you know, pull some lever in the business. And business isn't that complicated. I need to sell more stuff to more people, more times at a lower cost, right? And, you know, the piece of MOPS that fits into that um, oftentimes has to do with, you know, things like automation or attribution or even connecting those things together in a way that tells a story. So, for example, if uh, on the attribution side, you know, you can walk into the executive team and say, hey, listen, um, today we're, you know, using the data provided by Facebook and Google to make our decisions and we're not deduping, you know, leads or we're not deduping sales. Um, I think there's a way to do that that can provide value to the organization. And by the way, um, it looks like the overlap is like 25%. So that means that maybe I can spend 25% less or increase my conversions by 25% or do something with it that's going to provide you know, material value today. Same thing on the email side, you know, as an example, or automation or communication or you know, messaging or whatever it is you need to do to touch the customer. There are still plenty of businesses today that are uploading lists and hoping they're blasting them out to the right, you know, people in the organ, you know, in, as their customers. And I know nobody in this, you know, call is probably doing that, but there are lots and lots and lots of businesses doing that today. And so, you know, as somebody in MOPS and as somebody that's going to tie these things together, potentially, you know, the argument can be very easily made that, hey, if we segment this data in a way that allows us to touch these people with a more appropriate message at a more appropriate time, you know, the odds of the conversion rate going up are pretty high. And if it only goes up by X percent, look what it'll do to our business. <clears throat> and so I think framing it in the context of what the business is going to get out of the exercise is important, not only for MOPS, but for any tool in the organization, right? It's really, really easy to go out and spend a bunch of money on tools. I think the other piece of this um, from a consulting perspective is, you know, in our case, we're very infrequently able to come into a company and dictate what tool the company is going to use. And that's very similar to somebody taking a MOPS job. You show up and they have Marketo or HubSpot or, you know, whatever. And so I think it's really, really important to get the value you can out of what's there, as opposed to necessarily always trying to do a rebuild from scratch, right? So the argument, you know, typically is, well, I've used this at my other company and we should use it here because it's really, really awesome. Oh yeah, but we have a two-year contract with this thing already or three or worse, four, right? And so, you know, I think as a consultant coming in and saying, well, we have to rip all this out for everything to work is not the best strategy for us to make the company happy. Usually what we'll do is we'll say, okay, listen, you have these five things or three things or two things, and, you know, you can do 70% of what you need to 
with those five things or four things or three things. But then there's this other 20% or 10%, okay? And it's going to take a little bit of effort. And we may not need to do it today. But keep in mind that if we do it, we're going to get a lot of value down the road. And so having a conversation that's very rational about the tool and the, the tools that we're using, where it's not, let's just rip everything out and start over, um, typically goes a lot further than identifying a specific gap that's going to provide a very uh, acute uh, value and, and need to the organization. Right. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I think it yeah, it echoes what we've been hearing kind of over and over uh, in these sessions of saying, you know, when you're um, like the, the most important thing is know your audience, right? And when you're talking to an executive, um, like money typically is kind of the driving factor. Like say, oh, we're going to migrate from HubSpot to Marketo. Like if there's no reason for that, I mean, it sounds like it's the same reaction a CEO gets when the engineering sa team says, oh, we're refactoring everything. Like, wait, wait, wait but like, why? <laughs> like, do, do we really need to do that? Like, can't we just like keep on like patching things here and there? Um, and I think like understanding what the, the business impact is and making sure that's communicated clearly is is really helpful in that sense. Um, I do think one one element that's interesting is that I find that, you know, um, executives are typically more likely to listen to um, an external consultant uh, than potentially to the uh, the team internally, especially when it comes to migrations. Right. So. I think there's almost a question of like how if, if really you know that you know you're using HubSpot or whichever one it is and it's kind of like reaching the point where it's broken it's actually slowing the team down and um, actually trying to fix it is going to take longer than uh, doing a migration it, it almost seems like sometimes that's like a good time to engage with a consultant and say hey maybe we should like ask for external advice um, to actually back up the the opinion there how how do you feel about that and and mops kind of like looking for some support that might be external because these kind of consultants typically have get more attention from the execs automatically than uh, yeah the internal team yeah i think um in our case specifically which may not be you know it's certainly not unique but it may be different than many consulting firms is that as a business we're not um you know tied into any specific tools ecosystem so we are basically tools agnostic and i think what we find in a lot of companies is the pull to to move from one tool to another may not always even be driven by the fact that there's something wrong. It's just that the team now that's there knows the new thing better and can use it more quickly immediately today. And so, you know, the, the thing we would first talk about is, okay, well, what are we trying to do? What business questions are we trying to answer? And let's document the goals we're trying to achieve so that, you know, we can quantify the value of this move. And so maybe, maybe it's there, maybe it's not. It may be just be, hey, listen, you know, we need to go through a step-by-step -step process to, you know, one, make the thing you have work better um, and potentially train the team a little bit, right? Because if you have muscle memory in Marketo and the company you just landed at has HubSpot, you know, you're thinking about, well, they, 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 you know, Marketo does it this way or, you know, whatever, or vice versa, right? And so I think, um, you know, we like to be very pragmatic about the approach. I think the other thing is that cutover process is something that some people have only done once in their career, right? So I'm going to move from HubSpot to Marketo, or I'm going to move from, you know, Marketo to Iterable, or I'm going to, you know, any one of these systems cutting over is always a scary and painful process. And so if you put that on the person that maybe has done it only once in their career, like, you know, no shade to anybody in the company. It's just, you know, your odds of success are lower than, you know, a team of people that have done it 400 times, right? 
<clears throat> and so I think that's another place where bringing a consultant can be really valuable is to say, listen, by the way, we don't want to cut over everything on June 1st, right? We're going to only cut over these three things that are really low risk and make sure everybody understands what that cutover looks like in the new system and gets value out of it. And we're just going to keep doing the other thing the old way for a while, right? Right. And the only time you run into problems, which is almost universally the case, is that the company doesn't call the consultant until 30 days before their contract is up. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, yeah, yeah we want to cut over, but we have to do it in 30 days. So get it done. And you're like, okay, we can get it done. But, you know, that's probably not the, you know, the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like any any migration, you should always expect that it's going to take twice as long as what you uh, you provisioned for it. And if, if you're trying to do it based on contract renewals, like make sure to do it really ahead of time because like we've run into like some horror stories where like the Marketo con or the whatever, like HubSpot contract is like about to expire and you're like, oh, we need to go live with Marketo in like two weeks, but nothing is is sinking anywhere. Um, and That's it right. just like, it, it puts a lot of pressure, unnecessary pressure, I think uh, on the team. Um, I know one of the things that we, um, we touched a lot upon is also making sure that with the the C level, there's kind of this um, you know that that mops becomes part of this drive to to make sure that you know we're not afraid about uh, measuring and that we kind of like bring data to the table consistently um, and almost like having mops be like a grounding function to say hey you know like I know we have all these ideas but like here's by the way like where we're at and what's happening. Um, and I'm curious to hear on that front, kind of how you think about it, any recommendations and, and maybe like stories of, um, yeah, things you've seen happen where there was like potentially not that kind of like data driven mentality in an org. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, if, if MOPS is doing their job, they are very data driven because it makes their existence so much easier, right? Everything we're doing is, is measured and benchmarked and optimized. And we can show, you know, on some graph that the value that we're providing is very uh, empirical. And I think um, at companies that are fundamentally data-driven, you know, that becomes an easy argument to make. The problem is, and it's getting less and less, there are companies that got, just aren't that data-driven still, right? Um, and it's because, you know, you have a CEO that likes to put their finger in the wind or thinks they know the customer or, you know, whatever. And, and so like for us, if we, as we're talking to an organization, start to feel in the sales process that the company, you know, the board is telling them to be data-driven, but they're actually not data-driven and don't want to be, you know, that's always a big red flag for us. And so we do feel like um, this idea of being data-driven has to come from the top and the CEO sort of, or, you know, C-level in the silo that we're dealing with has to do, you know, sort of believe that they can be better as a business um, if they're measuring things appropriately. And so, you know, I've seen, you know, tons of cases where I think, I think, you know, one case is most of the time the company's data actually isn't that good. And so a company wants to be data driven and this, you know, sort of C team is like, oh, our data is fine. We just need to clean it up. We just need to make it better. And then you get under the hood and you realize that, you know, oh, wow, one team is counting logins one way and another team is counting logins another way. And what do you know? They're using the value interchangeably in reports and nothing's adding up. And so it's not just clean it up, it's like go in and overhaul how we're thinking about tracking and how we're thinking about doing things. I've uh, We had one uh, company, kind of a public company that 
Uh, we proved sort of that the television advertising linear TV that was being done um, was providing basically no value. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I marched into the CMO's office and I was like, great news. Uh, you can stop doing television advertising. It'll be awesome. You're going to save all this money. And I got yelled at for like maybe 15 minutes about how I wasn't going to measure this person and what did I know? And they liked their television ads. So, you know, in a, in, in a, in a case like that, um, and I, you know, you're like, okay, uh, well anyway, but by the way, your television advertising isn't working. And so, you know, I think you have to be very cognizant of how you think about data in the organization. And so without going on a complete tangent, you know, we believe it's not marketing data or product data or sales data or operations data or even marketing ops, sales ops, you know, financial ops, whatever. You have customers that have data and that customer data starts with some marketing message or some way that they found out about you and ultimately, hopefully results in a sale or many sales. And that spans the organization and touches many different people. And so we do believe that, you know, in in marketing ops and in order to make people in the organization feel good about the information one the data has to be accurate reliable and consistent and then ultimately it has to span the organization in a way that everybody can use it and if, if marketing ops can provide the front end of that because usually that's the first touch of the customer and, and you know taking that data putting it into a format that when you kind of hand it off to sales if there's a sales ops person you know you can say with a straight face i did my job the data is good and if you mess it up, it's on you, right? And so I think like that's important. And then this idea of like, you know, asking the team, you know, do you believe the data we have and do we have the data we need? Typically, you know, as you go further up in the organization, you'll hear more no, 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 right? I don't have the data I need, I don't believe the data I have. And so as a marketing ops person, you know, if you don't have the purview to do it all, the minimum you can do is your piece to provide reporting on the things that you're doing that people will believe in. And if you do that, the executive team is going to get behind it. And quite frankly, it's going to set a tone for the rest of the organization. Right. I think there, there's, a, I mean, there's a couple of things that, that are super interesting in there. One of them is, I know you, you use this term uh, a couple of times that I love the, the concept of the, you need to agree on the vocabulary of data. And I think that, that I, I don't know, I love this idea of like today when, you know, a lot of the companies I interact with, I see that the, the dictionary the definitions of what we call what isn't actually out there. It isn't necessarily maintained. And so you start realizing that there's this shift that starts happening over time where people start thinking of leads in a different way. People start thinking about like MQLs differently. And there's a lot of friction that ends up happening because we don't have, we're almost not, not using the same language. And I think it's, you know, there's so many studies that show that one of the main reasons for people to get angry and, um, yeah, at each other is the fact that they're struggling to communicate. And, and that comes from the absence of being able to use the right um, words to describe whatever concepts we're seeing. So on that front, yeah, I'm curious, like, what have you seen as like some successful ways to, you know, have mobs kind of maintain this definition and potentially also contextualize it in um, and, and I'll, we'll get to that one a bit later, but like contextualizing it in a way that is understandable by people that are not in marketing, right? Because like when we talk about leads and MQLs, these are like very fundamental marketing concepts, but they're very abstract for some of the other folks in the organization, even for a salesperson. Um, so yeah, curious on, on that front. Yeah, well, 
um, at Mammoth, we build a data dictionary on every account and we go throughout the organization to fill it in. And I think that's an important piece that MOPS can do that, to, quite frankly, gives you a lot of power in the company, right? So um, it's kind of a joke, but you know, we will you know, tell the businesses we're going into as we're starting this exercise, you know, it's sort of like, listen, if I ask 10 people in your company to define lifetime value, I bet I get 11 answers, right? And it's true almost universally. It's one of my favorites because nobody knows what lifetime value is in the business. But the thing is, when you say conversion or you say sale or you say customer, it should, seems like that should be obvious. It's like, oh, no, that's not a customer. They didn't do X, Y, and Z. It's like, okay. Or a sale. Well, oh, yeah, but we don't include tax in that, right? right. Or, you know, even a login. Did it happen twice today and are we counting both? Or is it a session based or is it daily? And so the way we think about things is, you know, it's not really about the um, data dictionary or the definitions around these things. It's really starting out with this idea that what are the business questions we're going to try and answer and use that as a framework for determining, you know, the metrics that we need to answer those questions and then the definitions that go into those metrics. And so, you know, we'll have things like, oh, I want to know how many sales I had. Well, okay, what's a sale? And if you can, work through the organization with that and you can have something where everybody gets on the same page you will build a vocabulary that's consistent and to be honest most people just haven't thought about it it's not that they're trying not trying to communicate with you it's that you know oh maybe in salesforce the sale is set up a certain way and so that's how our team thinks about it versus oh well in marketing we think about it differently because of where the you know what the channel was that sent us there and so I think it is really important to document those important pieces of information somewhere. And typically, it's just in a you know, uh, you know, shared drive, shared doc, you know, something that can be updated. And here's the thing: once it's agreed on, you kind of don't need to update it that much. There aren't that many that matter, right? right. Sales, lifetime value, customers, revenue. Uh, you know, what's a product? What's a SKU? You know, there's very, some very basic things. And then you have a place for people to reference it, and you have kind of this shared vocabulary. And then you don't run into those communication issues because you're right, like MQL. Well, what the heck is an MQL? Oh, well, it's third stage in the Salesforce pipe for people that happen to use this particular custom object. Okay, great. Right. I mean, even conversion. Conversion is one of the like the most difficult terms because if you're talking to demand gen person, like a conversion could be, you know, someone like adding an email, like it's like they converted on whatever CTA we have conversion optimization. But then if you're looking at, if you're talking to like someone who's in charge of self-serve revenue conversion is someone swiping the credit card and actually paying. And then for some other folks, it's going to be, well, no, we actually consider conversion only like past some given point or some ARR. So definitely think that, you know, having that common agreement on what words mean is so critical because every company is going to think about it differently. And especially when you have terms that um, have different declinations, I think MQL is one of the most interesting ones, right? Because um, there's very different types of MQLs. And I think even the, the concept of MQL is more about trying to identify a stage, I think, in the cell cycle, or typically it's like some readiness for what the next component is going to be. But there isn't a unicity of, of MQLs, right? Like a hand raiser is generally going to be an MQL. That's very different from a super engaged product lead versus... Um, a new webinar sign up of an executive from an account that you know is active in your app and therefore you'd want to go talk to that person. So um, I think, yeah, even like having kind of the, <clears throat> the sub definitions of those are, are critical. And maybe one thing that um, 
kind of moving into uh, how mobs also can play. Like, I think there's another role that as an, as a group, we're not doing very well today is uh, visualization. I think when, when we talk about a lot of these metrics, they're very, very abstract. And very often they lack some kind of visual context. When you say like, oh, I've generated like X many leads and X many MQLs and this many blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> it's very hard to represent yourself where does it fit in the buyer's journey? Like, are we saying like leads are super, super far to the right? And maybe we have some leads that are really far and some that are closer. And how do we visualize that? And I feel like today Mops is, <clears throat> doesn't spend necessarily that much time doing good data visualization around the data that they want to report to the executives. And that drives, yeah, it, it kind of leads people to think in gut feelings like, ah, leads don't mean anything. They're all vanity metrics just because we're not able to attach them back to this like the um, um, customer journey. So yeah, really curious on, on that front. If if you've seen some some companies either do a good job or a poor job at like really contextualizing the, the data from the marketing side to present it to executives or even to the board in a way that's easily digestible by just looking at it, you understand what's going on. Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing is when you mentioned conversions, going back to that, um, I would I would just stop saying conversions. I, you know, let's pick whatever it is we're measuring and use that as the metric. So, you know, revenue per sign up. Okay, well, revenue per lead capture, revenue per whatever, right? Like, you know, having a conversion metric is never going to tell the story in the organization. Um, in a similar way, that MQL isn't going to tell the story, right? So, you know, the difference is that. Typically, an MQL is set and agreed to as a performance metric for the marketing team that rolls up into you know, OKRs or KPIs or something that people are being like actually measured on in their business. And so I think in that particular case, and I could be wrong, and I'd be happy to be corrected, you know, the, the MQL piece is usually maybe one of the most well-defined pieces because that's how you're going to tell whether I'm doing a good job or not, right? I get to X MQLs. Now, SQL, you know, how many of those turn into SQLs, you know, that's the tension in the sales and marketing organization. Um, and so, you know, I think that piece of it's really important. Backing it up to, um, you know, again, like telling the story to the executives and the visualization, I think the first thing I would say is, and I'll, I don't know why, but marketers still haven't kind of reached the point where they're thinking in cohorts. Right. So we say, what's our average number of leads? What's our average number of conversions? What's our average number of whatever? And, you know, for an executive that's actually measuring to the business, it kind of doesn't tell me anything. It tells me that you got, you know, a hundred and a one and you ended up with 50 on average. Right. And so, you know, I would, I would argue that those visualizations, whether they're in Excel or they're in a tool or they're in Looker, you know, one, they should be done in cohorts in a way that tells a story. And then two, they're answering those business questions that the team or the company has agreed to as important to the business. Like, is this gonna move the needle or not? And so a lead is not really a vanity metric. It's something that you have to have, but you have to have it in the context of the question you're trying to answer. So, hey, leads from what source converted at what rate on what landing page, right? And so, you know, those types of things are things that um, if we agree that we're gonna answer these measurable business questions, you know, as the thing that we're working towards, then, you know, and we have a data dictionary because we know what a lead is now. And, and we now think about, okay, well, how are we going to tell that story? And that story, you know, should be something that allows you to move the needle on the business. And, um, you know, it's like, 
my, my favorite, nobody on this call has ever done this, but like, you know, there's this thing in Google Analytics called bounce rate, okay? Like, oh, your bounce rate. And, you know, people will call us and oh, my bounce rate went up. Oh my God, my bounce rate went up. <laughs> and you're like, you mean you had more bots at your site? You mean, you mean like, like, what does that mean? Your bounce rate. And they're like, what? I don't know, it just went up and that's bad. And so it's like, no, well, you had maybe from, you know, some source of traffic, your conversion rate wasn't as high on a certain landing page with a certain message for a certain action. And we can measure that, but I don't know what the bounce rate is, right? And, you know, nine times out of 10, it's some bot traffic that just like went crazy and your bounce rate went up. And so I think it's really, really important to um, specify whether it's a, you know, MQL where you've defined this thing that has value to the organization and you're driving traffic to it. And you have some costs associated with it, and maybe some downstream revenue associated with it. You need to tie all those things together and visualize them, but agree to what those things are up front in the context of how are we going to affect the business and move the needle? Because otherwise it's just visualizations and data and the executive team's not going to get that much value out of it. Right. Um, and so maybe moving on to another topic that I think is, uh, is super relevant to a lot of the, the folks that are, uh, that are out here is a challenge that I keep on seeing. And it was super interesting. Cause like we started like, as we were kind of like preparing for this, we were talking about like how you're seeing more and more companies like play around with DBT, Snowflake, Fivetran. We're kind of seeing like this rise of the new modern data stack. And something that I um, th that I see a lot is it, it looks like Mops is still kind of left scrambling when it comes to PLG and and access to product data. And I'm curious, like, on your take on why that is the case and how uh, we address it. Yeah, I, I don't have a silver bullet answer on this one because it's evolving so fast. I think with with you know product led growth, you know the way that we sort of bifurcate it across the customer journey today is that you know marketing is typically responsible for getting the customer to some valuable action, which might be a you know, might actually be the sale, might be a free trial start, might be a you know lead form, might be you know whatever. And marketing is being measured on that. That's kind of that MQL thing, right? So go out and get X. And then in the case of an enterprise sale, typically that gets kicked over to sales and sales says, oh, these leads suck. Get me a bit more better leads, right? And they go do their thing and eventually you get to a close one. In product-led growth where you have maybe a free trial or maybe a product that has upgrades or upsells and you have a team that's looking at the customer behavior, measuring it and trying to affect change in the organization for that particular type of customer and get them to a sale, you know, they're saying, listen, you got them to the free trial, but like, I'm going to go do my thing now and try and get them to convert or retain. Right. And so the, the conflict is not actually usually in the product piece where you're optimizing the product to, you know, generate more revenue for more customers in the product. It's the piece where you're talking about that retention or you're talking about that engagement piece. So now we have, oh, somebody signed up uh, for a free trial and now they're going into our marketing automation system. Uh, and now we're sending out emails and we're touching that customer. Is that mod is that marketing or is that product? Right? right. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of gray area in that zone today about who's doing what. But I would I would also argue that again, taking it back a step and saying, listen, it's not marketing data or product data or sales data. There's customer data. And that customer data we should be able to look at kind of anywhere in their journey and tell a story about where did they come from, what is their value, what have they done, who are they? Right. So, for example, let's say we have a bunch of people that are really valuable in product and they've done a bunch of stuff. And they're like, oh, these are our most valuable customers. Well, don't I need to get that data back to marketing so that they can go do lookalike audiences 
in their marketing advertising campaigns? Yeah, probably. So what does that sync look like? And what does that communication look like, uh, you know, between these teams? And I think to be honest, like mops can sit in the center of that, you know, they can say, listen, Hey, you know, we have these campaigns we're running. We need you to give us X. And if you define that, well, you're going to find a lot of uh, people that buy into it in the organization. Right. And I think one of the, uh, the comments that you made that really, um, you know, stuck with me was you were saying it's it's really important that as MOPS professionals, like we we show up with very specific asks. I think there's like too often there's this kind of thing like, oh, we need access to the product data, which is like such a general and and really like complex ask to to address <clears throat> that it leads to nothing. Whereas like I think the example you picked is a perfect one of saying, well, you know, if there's a bunch of really good signups that we got how do I get access to that list of emails so that I can start running lookalike campaigns on it? So I think there's like a lot that um, that can come from that of like having specific requests to make sure you get the data you need for a specific task. Yeah, and, and there's nothing, a couple things. There's nothing worse than people that are like, I need all the data. Okay, well, that's, I don't know what that is, right? Or, you know, we were going to collect all the data or we're going to do whatever. So I think the ask is really important. I think it's not just for, you know, working with different teams, I think it's, you know, as you see sort of like this healthy conflict between marketing and engineering, because the engineers are like, have to go get the data for you. And, oh, we have to put the tags on the site, or we have to do whatever, and I hate it, right? <clears throat> so one of the things that we've done, um, you know, at, at Mammoth to try and make that a little easier is we'll even create like little mini implementation guides, you know, for the engineering team, or the ask is super specific. It's like, listen, I need this snippet on these pages, and here's what it is. And Go into your, you know, get repo and copy this and paste it in there. And they go, oh, okay. You mean I don't have to read any documentation? I can do that in like five minutes. Okay, fine. Oh, and by the way, you might have like a hundred events you want to track, but really you need five, right? And so, you know, going in with a very specific ask, which is, hey, you know, I'm going to need these hundred events, but today I need these five. Like, can we do these five? Because that's going to get me sign up and revenue and free trial start and some other things that I can use in different places in the in the company as it relates to this data. So those asks are really important, not only for what can I get from the product data, it's what can I get from everything in the in the company? Because if you think about it, where the mop sits, I mean, you're touching like, you know, advertising campaigns and you're touching landing pages, you might be touching, you know, webinars and all these other pieces. And those pieces ultimately are going to touch somebody else, right? Eventually, there's going to be stuff in Salesforce or, or some other place or Stripe, right? Again, how do I get that data back and forth? And so if you know what you're looking for and you know the type of um, report that you're trying to generate, it becomes much more easy to make that ask if you're asking for one little thing instead of, hey, go build me this report that's kind of nebulous that'll tell a story that I haven't really articulated really well, right? right. So so I think we, we would try and break it down into much more uh, my new comp component parts. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I mean, it's one of the challenges of the the MOPS role is that you have to do this like great stretch of on the one hand, being able to talk to executives and like bring data that's like intelligible, that's like high level and, and contextualized. And at the same time, you're going to be interacting with data ops and data engineers where you have to be able to go into the specifics and, and provide, you know, questions that are, um, yeah, that are very, narrow and i think to to some extent this is something that i feel is is becoming more and more apparent as uh, time goes is to me i i think of mops as the product managers of uh go to market in the sense that 
there's a bunch of requirements that are like super high level that coming from a CPO, like we have this roadmap of like, this is what we're going to do. Then you have to figure out, okay, like if I want to be able to execute on this strategy, what are the kind of functional blocks that we need to build? Some of it you're going to build yourself, but you have to really like architecture it, design it so that then you can hand over those blocks to different people. And you have to interact with engineers to get the right data, to build some of the stuff. Um, I know we have folks, um, on the call, like like Lucid, uh, Lucid Chart, and they shared some of the um, like the flows that they have. I mean, it's super complex, like how they extract data. It's like billions of events happening all the time, and extract the right information to then pass it on to Marketo because you can't just do like a full fire hose of like let's just dump all the product data into Marketo. Well, you Marketo can if you want to like, spend like fifty million dollars a year on your data API calls yeah. or something, right? I'm not even sure, <laughs> even with the new Orion architecture, I'm not even sure Marketo would be able to, to handle it. I think it would just stop. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and anyway, so yeah, there's, there's that need to, to do that. So I really see uh, marketing as this like product management kind of role. And I think there's a lot of the, um, I guess, like theory around like how you go from roadmap to actual like feature request that actually applies to um, to that part of the business. And I think one of the components that you mentioned around that, which is like, you know, how you think about metrics that you can use to drive um, uh, your ease of use every day is like the accessibility to the data, almost, I guess, some kind of internal metric of like bringing this up of saying, well, you know, like there's these types of data for which we have very little accessibility. And that's an issue for the business because X, Y, Z. Yeah, and we think about it like almost like a gap analysis. So, you know, if we knew this, we could do that. And today we don't know that because of these five things. And these five things are probably data accessibility issues, right? And and I think, you know, oftentimes this is where there's a lot of, it's not conflict, it's just very difficult because um, whether it's marketing or product or whoever, you know, like bad data is worse than no data. And so, you know, you have a, a lot of companies where maybe the data isn't quite as clean as it should be. And so people are trying to sort of make directional decisions based on this stuff. And, and that's a fundamental problem. And so I think, you know, first and foremost, if again, the company is willing to sort of clean up the data, everybody in the company benefits. Okay. But that's kind of like saying, I'm going to go refactor my code, <laughs> right? You know, Hey, we need to clean up our data. Oh my God, what are we going to do here? Right. And where is, Oh, it, or, or even better, you know, you have an engineer that's like, Oh, all that stuff's in S3. It's like, okay. Well, that's great. I've got basically this giant pile of stuff. And it's like going to a thrift shop and looking for like that one perfect thing that you hope is there that might not be there. <laughs> right. Right. And so, so I think every company is a little unique in the way that they attack it. And then, you know, I think the other piece of this, um, which, you know, is a little bit of a little bit of a tangent, but not really is, you know, particularly in Europe, um, we're starting to do a lot more privacy issues around data. And how marketing can leverage that data in a way that doesn't sort of, you know, get in trouble with the CISO, right? So, oh, okay, now we've got this privacy guy that works here and he's telling me I can't do anything. Um, and so I think, you know, you have to balance all of these things in order to do your job. But if you do and you can surface those gaps, you're going to find a lot more um, support in, you know, getting the answers because now it's not just data for data's sake. It's an answer that's going to allow you to make a better decision and have a benchmark that you can optimize against. And so that's sort of how we think about it is like anything you can benchmark, you can test and optimize. And so if you're not benchmarking it, you kind of just like, oh, it's just a raw number. It's just, it is what it is. It's, you know, revenue. Okay, 
Well, that's great. That's a good benchmark, but like, is it revenue per what, or is it revenue for what types of customers? And so being able to break those things down is a, is a process that takes companies many times. And I think just to kind of highlight that in the way that we think about data is like version control, you know, sort of version one is like, Hey, as a company, we can count everything and we believe it. And so, you know, a lot of companies we go into, it's like, Oh, well, we have revenue, but it's in Stripe and PayPal and Shopify, and there's some closed one stuff in, in Salesforce. And so it's like, yeah, but where do I see all that? And they're like, oh, well, you gotta go add it up and you know, like put it on a notepad. And you're like, okay, well, that's not that's not gonna work. Or signups or all these basic things we talked about. You know, that's kind of like table stakes now. I have to be able to count things appropriately. And as a company, if you're in ops and you say, like, hey, we can't even count this stuff, you need to solve that first. Next is sort of segmentation. So how do I take that data and say these are the types of customers that are buying the things that I was marketing? You know, I have, uh, you know, people that I'm running cat food ads to, and hopefully they're buying cat food, not dog food, right? Next is sort of like, you know, the ability to forecast on that data, you know, and then if you get like sort of that next level up, which most companies actually don't get to is, oh, I can start doing predictive. I can do, you know, data science on the data. And so all of those things are important in the conversation around taking marketing ops and turning it into actionable insight. Right. Makes sense. Um, I know we're getting close to the top of the hour and there's like a couple like really good questions. So I did want to uh, take the opportunity to uh, to go over those. Um, so Brittany, I thought like had a really interesting question of like, what are like the top ways to measure the success of like a MOPS role? And I think this one, yeah, there's multiple facets to it. Uh, but yeah, I would love to, to get your take on that. Well, I think, it, I think at it's most fundamental level um, you know, if MOPS is doing their job, everybody else's job is easier, right? And so, you know, to some extent, um, if you walk in with a, a mentality that whatever data you report is going to be accurate and reliable, even if it's not that much, you know, that's a building block for success. So, you know, there's nothing worse. And we see it a lot. And again, you know, maybe nobody on this call has this issue. We have tons of companies we walk into where you start asking about the data and you say, well, do you believe the data or do you have the data you need? And oftentimes you get like kind of this like, eh, I don't know, like I kind of believe it. Well, if you kind of believe it, you don't really believe it. And so you can't really pound your table to say we're going to do something better if you've got people that are like, yeah, but maybe it's not right. And so I would say like success can be measured in your ability to provide, um, you know, you know, like optimization and value to the teams that are consuming your services. And, and if you have data to back it up, you're going to be able to do that. Right. Yeah, I think that one's super interesting of having a, a metric that is almost coming from like how how dependable is the data you're providing perceived uh, by the rest of the team? Uh, like, yeah, basically, do they do they trust uh, the information that you're giving? That makes a ton of sense. And then I guess like there's um, like Velocity, I think there was like a good comment in the chat a couple of minutes ago where there was like, oh, we need to, you know, like be slow when we're thinking, but we also need like fast execution. I think that's like one of the, again, one of the challenges in MOPS, right? It's like you want to do, take, you know, enough time to architecture things properly so that you spend little time maintaining and fixing um, broken stuff. But at the same time, you need to have set up your structure so that you're swift in reacting to uh, what might be happening. Um, well, more importantly, I don't want to have to go back to the engineering team or back to other teams and ask them to do something over because I didn't get mm -hmm. it because I, you know, I didn't do it right. Right. And I think, you know, setting up um, specific 
um, I guess like automating some components or bundling things is, is super important. You mentioned it for, you know, on the engineering side of saying, oh, like here's the snippet that you need to add. It needs to be added to these five pages. So you're making it really easy so that the implementation is swift. I think last week, Sarah was mentioning something also around the fact that, you know, if someone is asking you, oh, I need a landing page for this. And I just want to make sure that, you know, like you have the form, like almost like how do you package these things so that for the demand gen team, it's like really easy to spin up a new landing page and they don't have to go through you. And it's another like two weeks of backlog before we can do anything like that. Um, so I think that's like a um, one of like, are you enabling velocity within the go to market organization um, rather than being kind of this like, central bottleneck that everything has to go through before we can deploy anything. Yeah. And, and for us, I mean, we, that always comes down to, you know, one saying whether you're willing to do it or not and providing good documentation. So if it's, if it's only in your brain and you're the only one that can actually do it, then that's on you. Right. right. Ultimately it's, Oh, you know, Hey guys, by the way, there's a, you know, Google doc that outlines exactly what you have to do with some links and some stuff. And you know what, I'll do it, but I can't do it for three weeks. But if you want, give it a shot and I'll check it. And you can do that today if you have the time. And so, you know, it's, it's you know, obviously in any company, it's give and take. But if you don't provide the information, then you can't expect somebody to, uh, you know, to execute against that. Right. Um, and then another, like, separate topic, but I think super interesting question uh, from Hannah on, yeah, tips on designing the ideal path to become an MQL. <laughs> get the data right. And then, you know, that's, and the, the rest is on you. <laughs> you know, every, 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 you know, I've seen, uh, you know, 10,000 landing pages and, and, you know, however many paths and they're all a little bit different and they're, you know, the little bit custom, little bit, uh, you know, it, that's the marketer's job, right. Is at the end of the day, like I need to get something and I need to increase the conversion rate and I need to, you know, show that whatever graph I'm showing is up and to the right. And if you can't measure it, you can't test it. And so, you know, that would be um, sort of step one. Yeah, uh, you're on your own, Anna. No, I think there's uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things that to me is is really important here is um, going beyond again. And I, I know I mentioned it, but the unicity of the of the MQL, right? Like there isn't an ideal path. There's like multiple right. ways, I think, to become an MQL based on who you are. And, and that I think is, is critical, especially in PLG settings, where one of the most common things that we see in like these like scale ups on the PLG side is they start looking at the data and they realize, oh, well, actually, you know, most of our revenue is coming from demo requests. Makes sense. Like at least enterprise pipeline comes from demo requests. And then they try to figure out, okay, how do we get more demo requests? And they look at uh, the people requesting the demos and they realize, oh, damn, these people are not even product users. So our whole assumption that the ideal path to become an MQL was like someone hears about us, signs up for the product, loves it so much, they request a demo to talk enterprise pricing. That doesn't exist. And, and I think something that um, I always recommend is not necessarily like getting lost into um, analysis paralysis and actually taking like individual examples one by one. I think like the sample, the, yeah, like samples. Just like take five people that right. became an that became a customer and retrace their journey, and from that start formulating hypotheses that you can then validate or invalidate through more um, comprehensive analysis. But I think really 
just like starting with the idea that there might be different journeys and being on the lookout and actually going like super deep into the data, like record by record, kind of looking at what people did is really going to inform um, those different journeys so that then you can build analyses that will, again, like test the hypothesis that there is like this one journey that actually works or doesn't work. Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to jump in on just even just the going back to our talk about definitions of MQLs, right? So, you know, the path to your MQL is going to be different than the path to somebody that's trying to, you know, start a trial or get an email submit or whatever it is that's valuable to that organization. And the cost to get to it's going to be different as well. And that's going to affect, you know, how you manage that path, right? So, I mean, there are companies that spend, you know, ten dollars or $20,000 for an MQL, right? And then there are other companies that say, listen, I, I have a $2 budget like, you know, to get that email address. And so it is very divergent based on the goals of that MQL and then what ultimately you're going to do with it. Right. I will actually, I will actually, um, I'm going to get, I'm going to give a counterpoint to what you said about looking at individual paths though, because for an enterprise company that has a relatively low volume on the, the customer base, you know, drilling down on and looking at individual paths, I think is super valuable. As the volume goes up, it can, it can lead you astray because you've picked, some cherries out of the you know bin and said, oh, these people did this. The other people must have done that as well. And if you're rigorous about it, you'll figure out that that's not true. It's just that lots of people aren't rigorous about it. So they'll take, you know, I've got a thousand leads today and I picked four and they did these things. And now I'm like freaking out because, uh, you know, something's happening different than what I thought it should be. And, and so I would be cautious of like, you know, sample size as you're thinking about looking at those customer journeys. But I do think you should, absolutely be able to look at and audit any customer journey at any time. And I think if you can't, that's a disservice to the organization. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I say like, it, it's critical to then like validate or invalidate through like more comprehensive analysis, because like empirically you're going to like, it's basically looking at the data will help you formulate hypotheses, but those hypotheses are not validated until you actually like, yeah, uh, test it. Um, but, but I think this is where I, I see too many companies today kind of start with like super complex and, and like heavy analysis. Um, and one of the challenges there is that, um, you have a typical regression to the mean where right. what you might end up seeing is that, okay, like there's this one kind of main path that people take to one place, but it kind of abstracts like all the other things that might be happening. And so you, you want to make sure that you keep that kind of nuanced approach and, and, and never forget that at the end of the day, we're talking to like MQLs are people. Uh, I know it, it might seem weird to say, but MQLs are people. They have like needs, desires, and ambitions. Um, yes. and, and remembering that and that they don't like, nobody fits into like all everyone going in the same path. Um, so I think, again, that's where it's, it's so complex because you need to figure out like the right level of granularity where you don't get lost into like, every customer has a different journey and then it, it, you basically don't have journeys anymore uh, versus thinking that everyone goes into the average. And um, our, our good friend G has this awesome analogy where he's like, if you optimize for the average, then like shoemakers would only make one size of shoe for everyone and be like, Hey, this is the average. So this is what we make. And that's right. Not please like most of the people out there. Um, and maybe last one, I mean, we'll see, we still have time for, for more, maybe off to this one, but, uh, there was a great question, uh, from, uh, Keola on, um, when do you know it's time to, to bring, uh, like a mops rule in your organization? Uh, it's, I mean, yeah, 
So, um, I mean, there's kind of a size at which it becomes obvious. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, we sort of laugh. We do, we do work with uh, everything from sort of Series A up to Fortune 50. Um, and so, you know, we kind of see different size companies operate in different ways. Obviously, Fortune 50, there's like massive teams of people to do everything. Um, you know, if a CEO of a company is still running Marketo, like it's time to do something about it, right? Right. Um, and so, or, you know, to be honest, even if you get to a size where like VP marketing is running Marketo and they're stuck, you know, in that silo, then, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's time to do something about it. And so I think the other thing is, and this is something that, you know, honestly, still feels a little bit nebulous to me is, you know, where does MOP start and stop? And that's a little bit different at every company. Smaller companies, it's going to be much more, you know, broadly defined. Um, at bigger companies, it's like, you know, hey, I'm the Marketo admin and I'm MOPS and that's it. And so, you know, I think um, it really depends on the size of the business. But the key there is that if you can't get some of these foundational pieces done because there's just too many other things to do in the business every day, um, it's time to pull the trigger on MOPS. Right. And, and actually, this is like one distinction that I think is is critical to make. It, MOPS is not a Marketo admin. And I think that yeah, this has like been point. something uh, that we, we yeah. and we've talked a lot about it today, right? That it's like, yeah. how do you get the um, foundations right? And I think like that's maybe like making sure that you don't think of it as like, oh, well, I'm I'm paying this like external consultant to manage Marketo. And whenever my bill is similar to actually hiring someone full time, then that's when I pull the trigger. There's actually like a different need, which is like making sure you yes. have you know, the foundations on the data and like infrastructure in place to support the strategy um, you want to go with. And I think that's where, again, it's like similar to when do you hire a PM? Uh, where do you just wait for engineers to implement everything themselves or just like one of the founders to do all the product no. strategy? Right. Um, and, and I think there's something similar there where very often I would say if you're thinking about it, it's probably too late or like you should be hiring someone. You should do because, it. I, agree, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. If you're thinking about it, then there's probably a reason you're thinking about it. And, you know, the longer you wait, the more difficult it'll be for that person to get up to speed. Right. And one of the questions that you were, uh, that you were bringing up or like the point of, um, you know, do we trust the data? I feel like that's like a good quantification also of saying, okay, like, do we trust the data? Do we agree on, uh, what we're seeing? That's like a good, that's telling you if you don't agree that there probably is a need for someone on the mark ops side to come in and actually help unify all of this um, and make sure that, yeah, we're all pointing in the same direction. Yeah. And I think, I think another way to think about it is as soon as you start actually getting serious about attribution, you know, you're going to end up needing somebody to be point person on, you know, making that a better uh, and more successful journey. And, you know, at almost all the companies we work with that are, you know, taking attribution seriously and doing multi-touch attribution, there's somebody that's in the middle of it and orchestrating the data and making sure the campaigns are doing what they're supposed to be doing and making sure the conversion events are providing, you know, the necessary, you know, pixel fires and information upstream. There's a lot that goes on there. And to think that that's the person pulling the levers at, you know, Facebook or Google or LinkedIn, I think it's doing them a disservice. Yep. Uh... Makes sense. Awesome. Well, I know we're about to hit the top of the hour. Uh, so want to be respectful of everyone's time. Uh, thanks to everyone for uh, for joining today. Uh, it was Definitely. super interesting conversation, great questions. And 
Um, I guess, Ryan, on your side, like what would be the best way for uh, people to reach out to you if they have any follow-up questions or they just want to nerd out a little bit more on the uh, data side? Yeah, definitely. You can just email me at ryan at mammothgrowth.com or uh, we have a little you know web form on our website that people fill out occasionally. Uh, and you know, always happy to chat. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, thanks again for uh, for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, and as a quick reminder, next week uh, on the Confessions, we'll be having uh, Katie Peters from Envision. Uh, she's an awesome uh, marketing ops person there. And Envision is obviously like a pretty um, cool company to hear from when it comes to like some of the topics we talked today. Lots of data, PLG stuff flowing all over the place. If you try to pipe everything into uh, HubSpot or Marketo, it just breaks. And they have one of the beefiest Salesforce instances I've ever seen um, to, to make everything run. So I think we're in for a treat next week uh, as we were in for a treat this week. So again, thanks a ton, Ryan. Um, and hopefully people uh, reach out if they have more questions, but otherwise have a good rest of your day and we'll see you all very soon. Thanks, Francis.